Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. Well, I wanted to know what women in the South are thinking about feminism and to give Southern women a voice in the feminist movement. Do you consider yourself a feminist? I, I think I do, yes. Absolutely. I don't like defining myself as a feminist because when I tell someone I'm a feminist, they automatically go that way. While I will say, yes, I am a feminist, there's, I know that there's going to be explanation after that. Like, I'm going to have to explain myself. So, so... I feel like this Southern culture, especially in the Black culture, we were always like, you know, men first, women second. And then also, I didn't know what feminist meant. I feel like I am a feminist. I'm just not an aggressive feminist. I'm a feminist. I'm probably a quieter feminist. And I just pick and choose which things to be stronger feminist advocate about. I do believe feminism is for everybody. Hi, Fem South listeners. This is Lee, your host. And you're listening to the Fem South podcast. Thanks for joining me. I know this is some really challenging times for everybody, some very uncertain times for everybody, which is why I'm so pumped to tell you about a series of workshops that we are hosting entitled Resilience Building for Women based on Joanna Macy's The Work That Reconnects. And before I introduce my special guest and talk a little bit more about The Work That Reconnects, I want to just briefly say why we chose this book and why it's so important right now. Our book club just finished reading a dystopian novel by Octavia Butler while the pandemic was happening. And now we're moving into utopian fiction. So we went from Octavia Butler, who used speculative fiction to address the problems that we were facing during the time she wrote the novel. If things didn't change, if we didn't do anything different. And now we are reading utopian fiction to participate in what naturally follows dystopianism, which is imagining new systems and new ways of doing things. And Indian novelist and activist Arundhati Roy refers to the pandemic as a portal to a new world. She says, quote, another world is not only possible, she is on her way, end quote. And so Joanna Macy's The Work That Reconnects fits in really nicely because she provides a framework for connectivity, for us to face the world's problems in a community and not in isolation, to honor the pain that we feel for the world and various causes that we care about, to see with new eyes what's possible, and to set realistic goals for change. And so to help me talk about the workshop that we're getting ready to put on and to talk a little bit more about Joanna Macy's The Work That Reconnects is my special guest, Anna Swisher, coming to us all the way from Ireland. Anna is a community activist, eco-psychologist, 
youth mentor, movement teacher, and work that reconnects facilitator. She holds an MA in East-West Psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies and teaching certifications in conscious dance and yoga. In addition to teaching movement, she has worked for the last 10 years guiding youth and adults through nature-based learning and rites of passage, as well as facilitating women's groups and programs for young girls and teens. So we're very excited to have Anna on board with us. And I'm also really excited to announce that Amaya is back as a co-host for this episode. Amaya has been actually living and working with Anna for the last few months and has immersed herself in the work that reconnects. And so she's here to talk a little bit about her experiences and somewhat what's been going on with her for the last year since we haven't heard from her in a while. So I'm very excited to have both of these amazing women with me today. Oh, and this is another Zoom recording, so please excuse the difference in the audio quality. We are still recording all of our podcasts remotely. So thank you, Amaya and Anna, for joining me today. Happy to be here, Lee. Excited to talk about this incredible work. Yeah, and thanks, Lee, for having me. It's really nice to be having a chat about this stuff with your communities. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. How about we go ahead and begin with talking about what the work that reconnects actually is, especially for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with this work. Can you give us a little bit more information about Joanna Macy and how she came about this work? Yeah, sure. Well, the work that reconnects is uh, something that's been developing for about 40 years or so. Um, And it has its roots really in activist work. Joanna Macy, who is the kind of the main founder and the root teacher of the work 40 so years ago, she was doing a lot of uh, really intense activist work, a lot of nuclear waste activism. And she and her colleagues kind of started they really started burning out, you know, they started realizing that they were angry, they were hopeless, they were frustrated, they were sad, they were hitting all kinds of walls, and that a lot of these emotions were paralyzing, and were making it really hard to keep going, and to keep fighting for what they believed in, and to even just exist in the world, you know, and this is 40 years ago, so this is you know, before all of our current crisis were were so amplified. Um, But so they kind of started saying like, you know, there's nowhere for us to express these emotions, for us to express how challenging everything is and how heartbroken we are sometimes and how angry and sad and Mm -hmm. overwhelmed we are. And so what they did is they kind of just amongst themselves started saying, okay, we're just going to get together and we're going to try something. We're going to get together and we're going to create a space where we can tell the truth about what's happening for us and in the world. And that's going to include expressing some despair. So they they started coming together and kind of experimenting with ways to do that. And what they found was that when they created spaces to uh, express the truth and the challenging emotions, they ended up freeing up a lot of energy. They ended up finding like whole new um, sources of, of inspiration and creativity 
and also reconnecting with what it is that they really care about, why they're doing the work in the first place, why they love the world, why they're fighting on behalf of the future generations. And the other thing that happened when they got together in this way was that they felt less alone. You know, they started realizing, God, I'm not the only one feeling this way. And it really helps to talk about it. And so, you know, over the last 40 or so years, the work has evolved. At some stage, it was called uh, despair and empowerment work, which kind of really, for me, captures part of the process. You know, it starts as despair, it turns into empowerment. Um, but then it evolved to kind of be a bit more comprehensive. And so over time, it's, in, it's developed into the work that reconnects, as it's now called. And um, what it actually is, is kind of a lot of relational exercises. So exercises, conversations, practices that we do together in groups. And there's a, you know, a particular model that we move through that looks like a spiral. And I think probably we'll talk about that more later, but there are these different phases that we move through where we're, um, you know, we're resourcing ourselves. We're very intentionally diving into the more challenging stuff. Then we start to broaden our perspective a little bit more. And then we find ourselves in a place where we're asking, okay, so now that we've explored all of this, what do we, where do we go next? So the work that reconnects is really, it's, it's, it's a body of work. It's also a network. Um, so all this information is open source. There are a lot of trained facilitators, but anyone can look it up and get engaged with it, become a part of the network. So so it's, it's um, I think the, what, the other thing that I want to say about it is that, you know, kind of the foundations that it's rooted in include deep ecology, first of all, and I can talk about these more um, a bit later, but deep ecology is basically a way of understanding ourselves as humans and our psyches as connected to nature um, in a fundamental way. And then it's also rooted in kind of ancient spiritual traditions from around the world that understand how interconnected we are all are with the web of life. And it's also rooted in systems theory, which also understands individuals as a unique part of a much larger story and understands our impact from that perspective. So that's a lot straight up front, but before we move into that, though, I'm really interested in how the both of you came into this work. Maybe, Anna, you can start. How did you find this work and what's been your journey into it? That's a really good question. Um, I think I first came to this work when I was in graduate school in California. And I was lucky enough to be there at a time when Joanna Macy was teaching a course which I think she did once every seven years. So I got to take a course with her wow. and really kind of explore some of the work in depth. And it was really, really profound and really a gift and a blessing to uh, be taught by such a, an elder and the root, the, the root teacher of the work. So that's, I think that was my first exposure. And then also I lived you know, in the Bay Area in California, which was where Joanna lived, which means that she did a lot of workshops and talks and, you know, she was kind of around. And so I got to, I got to really explore it a lot while I was there. And then I kind of started 
in my own way, kind of weaving it into a lot of the other work that I was doing, you know, uh, women's circles and uh, working with girls and young teens and just kind of playing with it a bit and, and seeing its impact. And yeah, over the years, I've just um, kind of been playing with it for a while until I decided to take the extra step and do the facilitator training because I kind of got to a point where I thought, you know, this is the essence of how I want to make a difference in the world where, you know, we need to be talking about what's happening in the world and we need to be supporting ourselves and each other to navigate that so that whatever we're doing, we can continue doing it. So that's, that's kind of my journey with it. Yeah. And the way this work is structured, it allows you to have a conversation about what's happening, about your emotions in such a way that is constructive and moves you into action and allows you to see things from a different perspective. It's just beautifully done. It's, it's very transformational. Yeah, I think that's been really important for you, Amaya. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience coming into this work and, and, and especially coming out of like what we were trying to do in Fem South yeah. a year ago? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't realize that I was burnt out as an activist until I found this work and had the release that I did in a workshop that I I went to with Anna and realized that I had been so alone for so long. And, you know, even though I had Lee, even though I had the Fem South community, the work that we were doing was taking its toll on me. And, and I, I had become burnt out. It was just too much for me to handle. Um, and so when we ran the Anger for Change workshop last June, which was an incredible workshop we did. Um, you know, it's about honoring our dark emotions. And in feminist work, there are some heavy emotions that we have to deal with. And we created a space for us to look at that. And it was powerful, but it was a lot to hold. And I think it affected both you and I, you know? And then when the abortion stuff came up and all of these states were trying to pass these heartbeat bills and you and I were looking at our own abortion stories and we were starting to collect other abortion stories. It was just too, it was too much for me to hold. I just, I reached a breaking point. And, and when I went back to California, I entered into a deep depression deep depression. I was having panic attacks. I had, you know, anxiety and I didn't really know what was happening. I felt alone. I felt, you know, isolated and I just, I couldn't manage. And then I went to this workshop and for the first time it felt like there was a safe space for me to be heard. And then there were these beautiful practices relational practices where I could move through these emotions and start to see, you know, with new eyes. And then my hopelessness, my despair turned into this hope. And I, and I felt like, wow, I have the energy to start moving again. And since then I've been 
helping Anna run workshops and immersing myself more in the work. And actually last week I was on a call with Joanna Macy. It was for her birthday. What? And yeah, yeah. And it was for her birthday. And there was about 30 people there maybe. It was a Zoom call. And when she spoke, she is just this elder that is so wise and so authentic. And she's here to inspire change and to make us realize that we can actually make changes in the world, that together we can find the hope that we need to move forward, even against all odds. It seems like the world is falling apart and there's no way out. And, and it's exactly what I needed. And so this is why I'm so excited that we can offer this to the FemSouth community, because I think that maybe a lot of us are feeling it similarly. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about trying to figure out a way to provide a support network sort of underneath all of this awakening that we've been trying to sort of stir in the FemSouth community here in the South in general for the last couple of years. And um, I think it's important to recognize that what we've been kind of bringing to the community and asking all of our participants to engage in, uh, which is, you know, this kind of awareness of all the, the oppression, the misogyny and, and all the, the, the problems that women face. But also, as we moved into intersectional feminism, the problems just compound and compound and compound. There's so many things that we can that we need to focus our attention on or we feel like we need to focus our attention on that it becomes overwhelming. I mean, nobody can hold it all. And I think what happens is a lot of times um, even people within our group begin to shut it out and they ask for lighter readings. You know, we went through this process of trying to figure out how can we select books that are educational, informative, help awaken women, but also aren't so heavy and dense that pulls women down. So there's always been this need to support. And I think this is, for me, looking at this book and meeting you, Anna, and seeing where you're at now, Amaya, I think maybe this might be the thing that we've been looking for in terms of doing that. Because it's hard to, to ask women to awaken to um, even their own true feelings and to embrace their own emotions, whether they be dark or light, has been a big thing to ask without having a really good network to, to support it. So I'm excited. And I guess that's, you know, one of the questions that I had, like, I mean, how does this work help with what I think many people are feeling, especially now during this pandemic, which is just this overwhelming sense of one problem after another, one crisis after another, where do they put their energy when there's so many things to to be worried about and concerned about from climate change and environmental crisis to prison reform to COVID-19 and the economic crisis that's going to follow and so forth and so forth. Like how, how do people do that? How does this work really help with that? Yeah, well, I think in a few ways, you know, one of the things that we do really intentionally is that we place ourselves within a longer story. So we start to shift our understanding of time because in a lot of the world today, especially since like, you know, the industrial revolution, everything happens really fast. The quicker you can get something done, the more productive you are, the more you get paid. Um, everything is 
you know, sped up. We ought to be able to get what we want with the click of a button. And there's also real truth to the fact that like, we need to act fast to change things. The ecosystems are collapsing, you know, so there's truth to that. But there's also a truth that if we are able to imagine, for instance, that there might be future generations, 200, 300, 400 years down the line, we start to activate our moral imagination in a different way. So we kind of start to place ourselves into a longer story where we've had, you know, generations of ancestors come before us. Before ancestors, there were other animals on the planet before humans were here. Um, And, you know, before that even, there have been mass extinctions several times. And in the future, you know, sure, we can't predict what's going to happen, but we can imagine that there might be a future many years down the road, and we can actually draw strength and inspiration and creativity and hope from elongating our story a little bit, you know, because generally we tend to operate, we're lucky if we're considering things for our whole lifetime, you know, like if I'm making decisions that are going to support me 20 years in the future, I'm, I'm doing good, but it's very rare that we look at making decisions, especially as politicians and, and, and world leaders that are going to preserve life for future generations. So it's a bit of a step outside of our standard understanding of time that places us in a, um, a more uh, kind of comprehensive worldview and allows us to see our part as uh, just a part of a bigger story. It's an important part, but it's a part of a bigger story. So actually, it's not, all, I don't have to do everything today. I don't have to fix all the world's problems today because there are going to be many people who come after me and there have been many who came before. And there are also millions, billions of people all over the world who are also trying to make a difference. And so that's another piece of what this work really holds is, you know, kind of this systems theory view, which when you look at a system and a system can be simply defined as a collection of parts that operate together as a whole. And all of these systems, there's loads of research behind this that I won't get into, but Systems could range from a cellular level to uh, the level of an ecosystem or a galaxy. And every system has these particular properties that it operates by, and they're dynamic and beautiful and complex. But one property is that none of the parts function alone in isolation. If you try to take a cell of your body and separate it from the other cells in your body, it will shrivel and die. Systems do not operate on their own, but each part of the system plays a essential part in the larger operating system. And when parts of the system come together and interact, they all take on new properties that none of them possessed on their own. So there's this beautiful idea that, that in the work that reconnects, we really try to put into practice and, and experience in different ways that that, that we are not doing it alone, and that my role is a unique and specific one, and it's not up to me to solve all the world, world's problems because there are other people with other skills and other resources, other non-human beings, who are also doing their part in their part of the world. 
And so the coming together, like in the system, the coming together to inspire each other and support each other is where the magic happens. We can't do it in isolation. We will shrivel and die just like the little cell in the body. But we also don't have to do everything. You know, you wouldn't expect your lungs to do the work of your liver or, you know, for instance. So yeah, we can't do it all. Yeah. Some of the things that the points that you made are resonate with me strongly because especially this need to act so quickly, everything happens so fast. News is just instantaneous. And even like in the work that we do, I'm, I personally always feel uh, like I need to hurry up and do something or I'll miss the, the window of opportunity because everyone's attention will shift to something else in, in a day. In, in a half a day and in a couple hours, I mean, everything just happens so fast that for me, I, I feel like I'm constantly just struggling to keep up with what's the new current situation or crisis. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult because that wears me down. I think it wears everybody down. People get overwhelmed with constant news. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a huge part of the problem. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happened. Like, I'm a living example of that. That last year, we tried to take on so much with Fem South for a good reason. For a very good reason, we're doing good work. But we couldn't do it alone. We couldn't hold all of that alone. You know, mm-hmm. and this work is really about that. Mm-hmm. To realize we're not alone. And to see ourselves in the larger system. Mm-hmm. as a whole and see that we have support that we have this network that we can be resourced from mm-hmm. yeah and i would also say that a, a lot of the practices in the work they help us to clarify what is the thing that's most dear to me you know if i'm experiencing grief because i'm seeing all these trees cut down what does that mean about me that means that i have the capacity to care for the trees. Maybe I want to focus my attention on, you know, that specific thing and, and let someone else fight for animal rights or human rights or whatever, you know. So we there are all these processes through the work that really help us through our emotions identify what are, you know, what we really feel called to act on behalf of. So it helps us clarify our unique purpose within these larger systems and then take the next step forward down that path to the hoped for future. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's important too because feminism has become a very large umbrella and so many problems now fall under that umbrella. So even as a feminist, it's hard to direct your attention to any one thing. I mean, everything seems to kind of fall on the shoulders of women mm-hmm. to fix. And that's problematic. We've, mm-hmm. we've historically been seen as the ones that come in and uh, make changes where men are failing to make changes, right? We're the ones who seem to be uh, tasked with the concern for the environment, tasked with the concern for the welfare of others, and on and on and on and on. So that becomes a huge burden for women to bear and for feminists to bear, too. I think it's important to to recognize that you can't fix every problem under that umbrella, that you can focus specifically on something that matters to you. And it's okay if 
something isn't in your purview, like something isn't immediately and directly affecting you, because that's something that I struggle with. I see a lot of issues with things that don't directly affect me, and I feel guilt. And we have this conversation constantly around privilege and and that kind of thing. So some things that I care about don't directly affect me, which doesn't mean that they don't, that I don't feel so motivated to do something, but I can't, or there's just too much. So I think that having a way to help people focus and figure out what it is that that they can make a difference in, what matters to them and be okay with that, like that's enough, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the workshop, we'll probably talk about this, but um, in the work that reconnects, we identify these kind of three stories that uh, are like ways of understanding what's happening in the world. And um, the purpose of identifying the stories is not to say that one is right and one is wrong, because they're all true in some way. But the purpose of identifying the stories is to choose then, okay, which story do I want to be a part of? You know, because if I want to choose to believe that there's a possibility of the world looking, being in better shape than it is now, then that story is in some way happening through me. What actually happens is that your perspective shifts and you start to be able to see that story happening around you. And you can start to see, wow, there are good things happening. There are people like contributing in all their own little ways to all these things that, that do matter to me. But yes, exactly as you say, are not the thing that I'm the most resourced or prepared or personally impacted by in order to, to work on behalf of, but, but others are. And so I can see that story happening through, through us and I get to be a participant in it. Yeah. So maybe that's a good segue into you explaining a little bit about the different phases in the work that reconnects the spiral. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so the model that we use in the work that reconnects is a spiral. And the spiral is a spiral because it indicates that this is a constant process that we continue moving through. There's not necessarily a beginning and an end, but that we continue to move through this, you know, whether it's throughout a workshop or throughout a day in our life or even um, in a series of moments. So it's an ongoing process. But when we work in a workshop setting, we do start in the first stage of the spiral, which is gratitude. And gratitude sits at the top of the spiral. And we start here because for, for a lot of reasons. But one thing that starting in gratitude does is it helps us to remember what we already have, what supports us in our life, uh, what we love, what we care for, what we, you know, give, giving thanks is an ancient practice. Giving thanks um, puts us back into direct relationship with life and the things that give us life and support life and that we need to survive. And so when we start in this place it also softens us it grounds us it reminds us who we are and it's also very politically subversive which is one of these things that i love to talk about gratitude as being politically subversive because you know most of our culture um, leads us to believe that we need more things in order to be happy or in order to succeed or in order to you know get to a 
certain place in our evolution as a human that, that, that there are things that we need to buy or obtain or do. And the truth is that many of us already have a lot of the things that we actually, that actually bring us peace and joy and happiness. So if we can come from a place of recognizing that, if we start in a place where we recognize what is truly life-giving in my life, uh, it helps me to step out of the system, the industrial growth society, the capitalist society, and it helps me see my resources in a different way. Um, I love, I love that point. Whenever Anna says that, I'm just like, yes, this is where the, you know, activism and this is where the rebellion is. Gratitude. What, what a concept. I love it. Thank you for explaining that, Anna. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely one of my favorites too. And, you know, in all of this work, we're never saying, okay, now feel gratitude. You know, we're, we're always just creating a space where we're allowing things to arise or we're offering prompts that help people to, you know, talk about something that um, they might be grateful for in a way that allows it to arise naturally because, because forced gratitude isn't authentic, but there are ways that we can help each other remember what we're grateful for that allow it to arise naturally because it does exist innately within us. So that's an important point, I think. Yeah, I think that that's one of the issues sometimes in sort of the new age groups of gratitude. Like, we need to have a gratitude pot or like, we need to do our gratitude list at the end of the day or something. And unfortunately, it's, the intention is great. But I think in practice, sometimes we use it to bypass the darker, the more authentic, the raw emotions, you know? And so it's a little tricky. It's tricky. And I really like the way that the work re- the reconnects actually uses this within this, the spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the next phase of the spiral after gratitude, once we're really grounded and prepared is with that we go into honoring our pain. So that's the second stage of the spiral, which is honoring our pain. And again, we're never forcing any of this to come up or telling people what to feel but we're creating a space where our pain for the world is welcomed as evidence that we belong to it, that we care, that we have an investment in life, and that someone else's suffering can also be felt by me. And it takes our emotions and it shifts them from a place of shame to a place of dignity. Because the fact that I feel sadness at this woman who's been abused by her husband means that I'm human. And it means that I have, I'm having a healthy moral response to something that is destructive to life. And that says something important about who I am and how I belong to this world and what I'm capable of acting on behalf of. Um, so it's a really big shift for me in this place where our emotions become full of dignity and import, you know, importance. They become fuel. I think that's so important. I've talked to so many people through this pandemic that have thrown out the word depression and have felt great shame around that word and haven't been able to properly place it. Mm. And it feels very internal and very private. But if you think about it, I mean, why wouldn't you to be depressed right now? We have a global pandemic and people are dying. Like, 
the proper response to that is fear, anxiety, and depression. So there's no reason to uh, suppress that or to feel ashamed around it or to feel like you can't even vocalize that. I had a few moments where I just broke down and cried and I felt my family kind of looking at me weird and for a moment there I was kind of like, well, why aren't you crying? Like this is worth crying about. Like what's going on with you? You know, because they were looking at me like something was wrong with me, you know? And so anyway, I feel like that's really important. This is one of my favorite steps. Yeah, I mean, when I was going after I, you know, left Alabama in June after a series of workshops and and I entered into my depression and anxiety and panic attacks, my parents were really worried about me. You know, and and I was going through a process of of coming to terms with my own emotion. Do I do I feel shame for these emotions? Do I do I pathologize these emotions? Or do I realize that actually this is a proper response to what's happening in the world, you know? And doing the work that reconnects allowed me to see that. I had an intuition, but what I was hearing around me wasn't that, you know? It's like, I need to take medication for my depression. You know, I need to get support. I need to go to therapy, which is great. Therapy's great. And I did actually get a therapist. But not to change my emotions or move me away from what I was feeling. I needed to go through what I was feeling. I need to honor what I was feeling. I need to acknowledge it as valid and as useful. Yes. You know, in systems theory, the way systems work, we understand that every element of the system, every functional organism within the system uh, needs to be able to respond appropriately to their environment. And so in order for a system to evolve, to sustain life, the organism has to have its capacity to feel in order to respond appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so when we over-medicate, that's not to say that there might not be times when someone, you know, needs to, has a brain chemistry that needs a bit of support or something. I'm not here to judge that, but when we suppress and repress and numb ourselves out from our capacity to feel, we also reduce our capacity to respond appropriately to our environment. And so it's a huge shift in perspective. And the other reason I think this stage is important is because we, um, because we don't stay here forever. We move out of this stage of honoring our pain. Because one of the biggest fears, general fears in society is that I'm going to get stuck there. I'm going to be depressed forever. I'm going to be angry forever. I'm going to be unable to function. I'm not going to be able to get through my day. I'm not going to be able to show up for my meeting. I can't go there. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to take care of my kids. I can't go there. It's going to be too overwhelming. And in this work, we go there, but we don't stay there forever. You know, we go there and we allow something to shift, to reveal itself. And then from there, we transition into the next stage, which is seeing with new eyes. Uh, Some might say seeing with new or ancient eyes, because really it's a much older perspective that places us back into the belonging of life and a much larger story. And And I, I think that's, you know, what we were trying to do, attempting to do last year in honoring our emotions and at creating a space to really evaluate, feel, and acknowledge 
these darker emotions, but then we didn't have the process and I didn't have the skill set, the awareness to move through to this next stage that Anna's going to talk about. And so I feel like I kind of got stuck in it. And then when I went back to the Bay Area, all I could see around me was the, the struggles, the, the, the challenges, the homeless people on every street. The, all I felt was the isolation and the loneliness of living in a city with all these people, but not knowing your neighbor, you know, and the disconnect from nature, living in a concrete jungle. It just was just like, I was stuck, completely stuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the transition from honoring our pain is really important because what we do there is we restore our humanity a little bit. And, you know, it's done in a way that reminds us that we belong to something much bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And also we do it together so we don't feel alone in it. And we hear someone else who's sad about one thing or furious about something else or, um, you know, struggling in, in her own way. And we realize that, oh gosh, like that's a sister. That's a, that's a fellow human on this planet. And, and thank God I'm not alone. And thank God we're in this together. And, and so as we move into the next stage, we're very intentionally expanding on that, expanding on our, our mutual belonging to the world and this deeper sense of time that we exist within and our capacity to make a difference, our capacity to have an impact based solely on our, on our care for the world and the resources that we carry within us, you know, that, that, that those are resources, that those emotional responses that we have are fuel for, um, for our participation in the world. I have to say, I think seeing with new eyes is my favorite part of the spiral um, because I think the the practices are just really, really kind of, they shift things in a really big way where we start to see our impacts differently. We start to see our part in the story differently and we start to understand how our actions make a difference and we start to connect very consciously with past and future generations and we seek advice from, you know, beings who existed in the past and the future, from non-human beings, we start to exercise our creative capacities, our moral imagination in a way that we can imagine, you know, not just that we can imagine, but we actually remember how interconnected we are. You know, like I can, I, there's a, there's a connection between the web of life. And so this is where kind of some of the more, um, older spiritual traditions start to show up a little more where we're drawing on the truth of interconnectedness. We're drawing on the way that my, my place in the world is an important one. And I'm supported by so many beings, not only around me now, but in the past and still yet to come. So we, we play, we play a bit in this stage of the spiral and it's really eye opening and inspiring. Um, and perspective shifting. I think this is a great complimentary exercise to go along with what we're doing this month in Fem South, which is reading feminist utopias. And I'm asking the women in our book club to exercise their creative 
capacities to imagine future worlds. So we're looking ahead, of course, but we're reading behind because we're reading women from the late 19th century who imagined worlds back then. And so I just love this because there's a lot of talk right now about the pandemic opening this portal to a new way of doing things. So I think this is a great way to sort of enter into that conversation as well, because people, I think, are kind of ripe for this, thinking about ways that we can do things differently, really evaluating systems and asking deep questions about them. You know, why are we doing things this way? Can we do something differently? Of course, the the creative exercise, I think, is first. Like, we need to be allowed to have that. And I think this gives us permission, especially for people who perhaps don't normally engage in that kind of creative exercise, you know? Absolutely. And reminds me of something Amaya said earlier when she was talking about how hope was restored, how she she came back to a place of hope. And, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot in this work is uh, the concept of active hope. You know, there's a whole book about it. And active hope is, like I often say, it's not a blind faith. I think a lot of people hear hope and they think, oh, you can't just hope for a better future. You can't just trust blindly that it's going to happen. But active hope is something very different. Active hope has three very distinct kind of processes. The first is acknowledging the truth of where we are which is kind of what we're doing through the beginning of the spiral, you know, what are we grateful for? What are we sad about? You know, what are, what's in pain? The truth of where we are. And then the second step is identifying a hoped for future. What do I really hope for? And then the third step is to take active steps in that direction. So it's very simple, but it's a, it's an engaged process. We're engaged in the action of hope. And, and I think that's a really important distinction. And that's what a lot of what we're doing in, in the seeing with new eyes part of the, the spiral is, is um, imagining. And then, and then in the next stage, the final stage of the spiral is going forth. So that's the fourth stage. And that's where we start to say, okay, so then what are those active steps that we want to take in that direction? So we come away from a journey through the spiral with some very practical and concrete action steps for ourselves individually and how we want to be in our in our life in in a different way or maybe more of the same way you know so it's it's different for everybody every time but um yeah we're we're bringing it home so we have a workshop coming up at the end of this month on the 31st of May it's going to be the first of what we hope to be a series of these workshops but this is an introduction to get people familiar with the work that reconnects. Can you talk a little bit about what people might expect from the workshop? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, every workshop looks a bit different, different, but what you can expect, it's on Zoom, of course. So, you know, you can expect to be on a screen with a host of other faces and um, to spend a little bit of time just introducing ourselves. And, um, and then I'll give a bit of a yeah, a bit of an introduction to the work and kind of lay some foundations for the for the work that we'll do together while we're there. And then we'll pretty much jump into the spiral. So we'll do, you know, a series of practices together. And some of them will be in the breakout rooms where you're getting to talk with one or two or three other people more in depth. 
Uh, some of them might be in a big group, but everything will be prompted by, by me. And, and the, you know, the exercises, one of the reasons I love this work is because the exercises are very simple and they're quite structured. And within that structure, you, you kind of have a chance to let go a little bit and feel, feel held. Yeah. Feel held. So, you know, it's not like we're necessarily exploring complex ideas or doing things that are complicated and spiritually like abstract, you know, it's very, it's very simple, these exercises and the prompts and and the things that we do together. So you could expect from the workshop to show up and meet some other people and um, do some talking, you know, Um, a bit of talking, a bit of imagining and, and it's um, quite accessible. It's possible for anybody, no matter who you are, what you believe. We're not debating anything together. We're not, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of inspiring each other through our own stories. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah, that helps. I got to participate in a workshop and I really enjoyed it. I loved being able to meet people, you know, from all over. I loved breaking off into the small groups and really connecting. And I love the way that you formatted it so that each person, when they spoke, got full attention, that there wasn't um, a back and forth dialogue in that sense, that you gave space for the person who was speaking to speak. And so, you know, you didn't have to worry about being interrupted or anything like that. And I just love some of the exercises that prompted us to think about, uh, you know, all the things that we've been talking about so far and to share them with people in a real sort of intimate setting. So even though it was on Zoom and we started off with a large group, we broke into small intimate groups and that was really nice. Yeah, and I have to say it's one of the um, surprising but wonderful benefits of the Zoom technology that we get to connect with people all over the planet in different circumstances. And it it's even expanded the potential to feel connected to other people's stories and to, to see, um, you know, how someone else might be relating to what's going on in the world in a totally different circumstance. So it's a real beautiful gift that the technology has, has provided for this work. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a pleasure to be working with Anna over the past month and a half doing a series of workshops and interacting with people from all over the world and witnessing the, the shifts and the changes and the aha moments and watching as the hopelessness changes to hope. You know, the despair changes to smiles and laughter and, and ideas about how we can act in the world. It's been a real honor to, to work with Anna and see all of this happening. So I'm excited to bring it to the Fem South community. I think that we could really benefit from this kind of work. Yeah, I am excited too. Uh, people don't need to read the book, but they can. Can you tell us a little bit more about what books people, if they are interested in reading along, should read and where they might find some more resources for this? Sure, yeah. So Joanna Macy herself has written quite a number of books. She's also a bit of a poet and translator and kind of philosopher. 
so, you know, I love any of her writing, but more specific to the work that reconnects, I would say the first book to check out is the book Active Hope, which is written by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone, co-authored. And that kind of takes a bit of a dive into a lot of the ideas behind this work. And it also has suggestions for ways to practice it uh, in your own life and with people around you. It's actually a book that was kind of written to be read by groups. Uh, So, you know, it's one of those books where people all over the world have gotten together with their neighbors or their friends and said, hey, let's read this book together. But it's wonderful to read on your own as well. So that's a good place to start. And then there's the book called Coming Back to Life, which is a bit of a handbook about the work that reconnects. You know, it spends a few chapters kind of outlining the theory behind it and why it's important and what it is exactly. And then a good two-thirds, three-quarters of the book are uh, descriptions of the exercises. So in some ways, that book is designed for people who are interested in facilitating the work that reconnects, but it can also be a very interesting read for someone who wants to get to know the work better. But if you're brand new to this stuff, I would recommend starting with Active Hope. And then another place you can look for resources is on the Work That Reconnects website, workthatreconnects.org. And as I said before, it's all open source. So there's loads of resources there, both in terms of, you know, workshops or facilitators or ways to connect. There's a newsletter. And then there's also information on the practices and information on a lot of the theory behind a lot of this stuff. So that's a good place to go to start checking things out as well. And if people want to join our workshop, how do they register with you? Yeah, you can send me an email. That's the way. I've kind of um, uh, taken a step back towards old school ways of doing things. (laughs) Um, And I like communicating with people by email because then I get to at least, you know, hear from them once or twice, have have an interaction before the workshop takes place. So yeah, you can uh, send me an email. Yeah, or you can look at my website, which is pretty out of date, but all the important information is still up there. And that's um, tendingthesacredhearth.com. Yeah, and we have an event page at Fem South on Facebook. So if you want to get some more information, you can go to Fem South on Facebook and join our private Facebook book club group where we also have the event up and where we're funneling a lot more information into that group, so. All right, well, I think this is a a nice place to stop. Thank you again so much for joining me. I'm so excited, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this workshop and to see how all this unfolds. Yeah, I'm so excited too. Thanks Lee and Amaya for inviting me on and so great to chat with you and hear your perspectives and yeah, it's been a pleasure, thanks so much. And thanks, Amaya. I'm so happy to have you back on. And I hope our listeners are very excited to hear your voice again. Yeah, this was fun. (laughs) It's been a while. It's nice to be talking about these important issues again with you, Lee. I love you. I love you, too. You've been listening to the FemSouth podcast. FemSouth is a podcast produced in the deep south of Alabama. We are also a local book club and community dedicated to educating and empowering women to be the change they want to see in the world. 
You can get involved with FemSouth's book club by asking to join our online Facebook book club group. We're also going to be doing our book club meetings for the foreseeable future on Zoom. So you can find out more information about our events by going to our website, FemSouth.com. We would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and give us some positive feedback. We'd also love it if you would go to our website at FemSouth.com and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on all of our current episodes and local events. And finally, we would really love it if you would help support us by going to Patreon slash FemSouth. For just as little as $1 to $5 a month, you can support us and help us keep producing quality content and putting on local events in our community. This is Lee. And you've been listening to Them South.